for early stage startups, valuation is so much more in art than science. Obviously, everyone you would want to negotiate for a fair price. But at the same time, it is just as important, if not more important, to choose who you partner with. The right investors bring early stage funders crucial resources, including introductions, great pieces of advice, their own connections, and you know, just be good support through thick and thin. And all those things make such a difference for early stage founders that often makes capital or the valuation not the primary or at least not the sole primary objective here. Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Danoff, and welcome to What's Next Now, the podcast where you hear stories from founders and business leaders starting, expanding, or pivoting in their business and the value those experiences can have for you. Our show today is called From Funders to Founders, and my guest today is a person who has a lot of experience in funding organizations and, like me, is now in a position to help founders define, refine, and then succeed in their mission, and she's doing a lot of that. So, Sophie Wang, welcome to What's Next Now. Thank you very much, Gary. It's all my pleasure. (laughs) It's so, so great having you. Could you take a minute and just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, absolutely. I spent about 10 years in finance. I was an investor for about five years in private equity and venture. I had an entrepreneurial stint trying to explore a new investment platform. And then for another five years, I was an investment banker where I helped clients corporates, governments, and investors raise capital and conduct other pivotal transactions. And last year, I left banking. I was being pulled by my inner passion towards the world of tech and startups. Love that. So right now, I've been advising a couple early stage startups. And I also have a Substack newsletter called Entrepreneurship of Life, where I interview immigrants in tech in the U.S., founders, VCs, builders, about their stories and their insight. Oh, my gosh. That's all just so darn interesting. And we're going to we're going to break that apart, you know, piece at a time here in a few minutes. I especially love your concept of entrepreneurship for life and your focus on immigrant technologists in the U.S. And and again, we're going to come back to that. But Would it be okay with you if we shared with the audience kind of a little bit of our story, how we got to know each other? Would love to. So it's just kind of funny. And there's some micro lessons in here having to do with one of my favorite topics, which is always be watering your contact garden because you want to nurture those relationships in different phases of your career because they often can come back and serve you and the other person again. And such is the case with you and I, with us being here today. So, so we met back in 2016 when a friend of mine from NetApp, Brian Strasser, had recruited me to become the senior VP of cloud strategy at DLT Solutions, which then got bought by Tech Data and now by Cynix. And 
You were at Milstein, I believe, at the time, as you were just sharing a moment ago in your history. And at DLT, the cloud era was brand new. We were a major distributor, the sole distributor for Amazon in the public sector. And we also had commercial and, and educational business. And we wanted to expand that portfolio to include service offerings because people needed services to bring workloads into the cloud. But what was so crazy is back then, the cloud was mysterious. It was it was unknown. Some people had experiences with lease data centers and batch applications like payroll and HR applications being not time sensitive. But the idea of moving line of business applications having to do with how you interact with customers, anything having to do with engineering or planning, anything having to do with education and online, none of that had happened yet. So we needed these service companies to help make that happen and also with some of the education to the market that was required. So you and I were brought together to diligent or, or research some small companies which DLT could consider purchasing, none of which I think happened. But it was my good fortune, Sophie, to have met you back then because that was my introduction to understanding the financial side of researching a company for acquisition. So I just want to thank you for that, actually. I really want to thank you for that. <laughs> well, Gary, you stole my line here. <laughs> I'm the one that was so fortunate to have worked with you in that project. I learned so much from you, both in terms of the cloud services business and industry, and in terms of strategic M&A, and how to grow a business inorganically. And mm. I think we have so much fun there. And I have to say, I'm so glad that we bonded over the project. Mm. And the relationship kept growing over the years. It's just amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> it is just, it's so delightful when that can happen. And uh, I hope that, it, I hope that has happened and does happen for many of our listeners today. It's funders to founders. Let's start with the founding side of it and, and talk a little bit about your Substack newsletter. Again, the, the title, which I just love. And you had an opportunity to listen to a talk by Howie Zhu, a well-known AI veteran and entrepreneur from Silicon Valley. And he made some interesting comments that you observed and made note of in that particular edition of your Substack newsletter. And it, look, this is not a paid endorsement, but I get your Substack newsletter. I love it. I love how you write. I love your style. I love what I gain. So I'm encouraging people to check it out. And one of the things I thought listeners might be curious about is how he says that 2023 is the new 1993. And he's referring to the paradigm shift that happened back then to what's happening today with AI. So can you fill us in on that comparison and some of the other insights that you gained by sitting and listening to that talk by Howie at Wharton? Yeah, absolutely. And first off, let me quickly say I'm so flattered by the kind words you said about my newsletter. And I was really, honestly, lucky to have been talking to all those amazing founders and technologists such as Howie, hear their stories and perspectives. So on what you asked about, I love how he's the parallel he used between 2023, the age of AI or generative AI revolution that we're seeing right now with 1993, which was the internet revolution. Right. So 
there are a couple of similarities between the two. The most obvious one being the magnitude of the potential impact. And that doesn't surprise anyone by now, right? Right. Um, But the other two things that many people overlook, one is both internet and generative AI, or AI more broadly, are technologies that have been developing for a long time. It didn't really start with the specific years we were referencing, but the reason these two years are so crucial is there was a key trigger that really popularized and brought these technologies into you know the consciousness of everyday people and potentially set forth a wave of massive widespread adoption. For generative AI, it is ChatGPT introduced in late 2022 and was really gaining traction last year. And for the internet, it was the introduction of the first ever web browser that was widely adopted. It was called Mosaic. So internet has existed since the 1970s, but until 93 with the, with Mosaic, it really wasn't accessible or it didn't really mean much to, you know, the everyday people and businesses. Just same as AI, you know, generative AI, it was, you know, the underlying models have been around definitely before ChatGPT, but it was really this application that made everyone realize the potential and, you know, kick off really ushered us into a new era. And so that's number two. But the third similarity is that we are very early right now with generative AI, just like we were with the internet back in 93. So recall that many internet giants like Facebook, for example, was founded in 2004. That was almost, that was over a decade after the start of the internet era. So similarly, we are really at, you know, the very start of generative AI. So there's a lot to be done. This technology has a long way to fully mature. And I think we, you know, as potential people adopting this technology, we need to set appropriate expectations. We need to be patient. And there's a lot of hard work to do. Yeah, I'm glad you particularly cited that example of the period of time between Mosaic and kind of the social consciousness of the internet and the founding of Facebook. Like that was a decade. So if we think about, you know, a decade hence from now, good gracious, I wonder what type of companies will have been wrought and formed. I wanted to talk about a saying that I read from another person who's in the the VC space. Um, and that is tailwinds despite headwinds. And what I interpreted from that means staying positive with uncertainty in virtually every facet of life that we can think of. And <laughs> Sophie, I can't think of any facet of life these days where there isn't uncertainty, climate, governments, elections, the economy. Have I left anything out? I don't think I've left anything. I think we've hit all the big ones. So it's a time of tremendous uncertainty, but we both know that with tremendous uncertainty coexists tremendous opportunity. And one person who seized on that tremendous opportunity was 
Bill Gurley, a venture capitalist who invested $12 million in Uber, which became $7 billion when they IPO'd. And he has an upbeat point of view for founders and funders. I want to share a bit of that and then ask you a question. He says, there have been plenty of great companies started in the troughs to suggest that there's no reason to stop investing. Even with all the macroeconomic factors contributing to a tense global climate, some favorable conditions, such as newly far-reaching talent pool and access to cheaper real estate, for example, mean that a startup can still build a strong foundation today. So tying that back to the fact that we've got probably no less than a 10-year developmental period for excited funders and founders to get businesses started, which will have some component of AI in them. What do you suggest people focus their time and their energy on? Or what, what does your gut tell you? What do you believe in? And then we can come back to something that Howie said about that also. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's such an interesting question, which domains, you know, could be fruitful or rich minds for potential successful startups. Honestly, I have to agree with what you said at the beginning, that the opportunities exist everywhere because uncertainties and pains exist everywhere. How I personally think founders should think about picking their battle is to think about what I call founder idea fit or problem fit, which is to ask yourself, what is a problem or what is a domain that you personally care deeply about? And that really varies from one person to the next, whether it's climate tech or education or reimagining financial institutions. Founding is so hard that I think it's really difficult to stay at it unless the founder has a burning desire and a very personal urge to solve the problem that they identify. And that's what, you know, keeps them at it when going gets really tough. Um, so what I would suggest is like for founders to start with an area of interest. Maybe that's the, you know, the sector they've been working in for years. Or maybe it's something that, you know, draws their mind. I would encourage them to learn everything about it for maybe younger founders to even spend a few years just working in that industry, diving in, but at a minimum, talking to many people in that industry and just try to understand what's giving them migraine day to day. What makes them say, ah, you know, I wish we had this or I wish that were possible and start from those problems. And then think about with the available technology, what kind of solutions might be possible? That's what I would recommend. Your three-point answer to that is is wonderfully insightful. I, I'm smiling because I couldn't help but think about Shark Tank. And my wife and I watched Shark Tank both for entertainment and for learning. And there was one entrepreneur on, I think, last week who was concerned that their cat kept getting urinary tract infections. And so this person invented, I believe, a phosphate that goes into the cat litter that turns different colors based on what's happening in the urinary tract of the cat to give an indication to the owner. Because the cat can't tell you, hey, I'm having a urinary tract infection. I thought about that because this this 
couple had great deep and passion about their cats and that issue. So yeah, I think it is really brilliant to say, go deep on what your heart felt passionate about, and then learn a lot about it, spend time with people, do a lot of informational coffee talks, and it'll come to you. A hundred percent. And I have to say, as the owner of two cats myself, that sounds like an amazing idea. And it also speaks to the broader truth that a personal pain is very often a you know much more common pain that many others feel. So many successful founders have started with personal pains like that. So thank you for that wonderful example. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I was also excited. I, I read a lot of different articles, and I was reading one from McKinsey that there are now a thousand startups that have hit unicorn status, which generally refers to a startup being valued at a billion dollars or more. So, by the way, if anybody listening today is one of those startups, congratulations to you for the hard work, the sweat, and the amazing journey that you've gone through to get to that point. I was more excited to read, though, that 62% of Gen Z, those people born roughly between 1997 and 2010, have expressed interest in starting a business or have already started a business. And I work with some of these people in my coaching and advising practice, and I find them to be so, so what we're talking about, Sophie, passionate and motivated around a personal issue or a cause. And so, so with that, here's my question to you. Are you seeing global talent of all types kind of willing to come together in a virtual company community working remotely to accelerate the pace of a new idea being shaped and started? Are you, do you see a lot of that happening? Absolutely. I would say that has been true for, for a while now, but some recent trends definitely accelerate that. One is COVID and the normalization of remote work. The other is the most recent generative AI wave, which really is putting new life into open source communities, which is the major, one of the biggest ways that tech talents from all around the world gather and exchange ideas and collaborate. So I would give two examples. Hugging Face, which is the main community for many software engineers, AI developers these days. I just saw the stat yesterday that they now host over 200,000 different AI and machine learning models. Wow. 200,000, that is jaw-dropping, but that is the sheer potential of open source communities and driven by that love to, you know, share your personal project and work with people that you've never worked, you've never met offline in real life. The other example I would give is I was at this tech conference last year in the Bay Area. It's called Startup Grind. It's an annual conference where many founders and VCs and builders gather. And I've met people from just about every continent there, you know, <laughs> probably like two dozens or so different countries. And I know there are so many more. And just, you know, to be out there after pandemic in the same physical space with all right. these wonderful innovators from every corner of the world. It's just so inspiring. I'm so glad to hear that you had that experience and shared it for people to hear about because my tagline is improving human connection in a digital world. 
And I think many of us have suffered from a loss of human connection for the past couple of years coming out of COVID. I know a lot of schools and a lot of people in various stages of education from K through 12 and above have, have suffered and we're all kind of coming out of it, which is a journey. And so I'm encouraging people to do the dare, as I like to call it. And the dare is get together in person with people. Do the dare. <laughs> so uh, I'm thrilled to hear you tell a story of a successful journey like that, where you gained a lot of connection with people from all around the world. Hi, everyone. Hey, I want to thank you for listening today to the show and take a couple of minutes and paint a picture for you of people who work with me. And they are a lot like you and other listeners on What's Next Now. So when, well, they call upon me because they are starting or expanding a business, either as a startup founder or equally as a leader or expander inside of a company. And they find themselves facing an opportunity or threat to expansion and growth, sometimes both. And this happens in planned and often unplanned and complete surprise times and comes during somewhat familiar and often uncertain economic conditions. So that's when people reach out to me. And why? Well, these are clients who are choosing to lean into these specific opportunities and threats because they want to create a positive outcome for themselves and others beyond what they can currently imagine. They want to go really big and they want to go for it. What they gain by investing and working with me is a 100% focused dedication from me on both the business problem side of the opportunities and threats, but essentially the personal and interpersonal elements as well in working with others and how this is all connected to the great outcomes they seek to create. I help people navigate tough decisions and see choices they hadn't imagined on their own and gain confidence and new problem-solving skills all the while. So the how, if you or someone you know would benefit from having this great type of dedicated supplement, supplemental to your existing personal support system, then email me at gary at garydanoff.com, and we'll schedule a no-charge discovery session to see if coaching with me is right for you. Thanks again so much for listening to the show today, and please enjoy. Let's jump for a minute, Sophie, back to the funding side of things and talk about the reality of 2023, which was a rough year for founders when it comes to money. According to CB Insights, funding fell 42% year-over-year, deals plummeted to a six-year low, and unicorn births, we talked about unicorns a moment ago, they tumbled to their lowest levels in 2016. That doesn't mean that some, some amazing things happened. Stripe went out and they had a big, big IPO. But by and large, it's, it's been a tough two-year run-up into 2024. And as my friend Nick Sinai, partner at Insight Venture, says, now we're in an environment where investors are looking for efficient growth rather than growth at all costs, and might I add, kind of inflated valuations. So my question for you is, with your background in investment funding and the advising that you do, how do you recommend that 
founders value themselves in a reasonable way, given the current funding environment balanced against the money that they actually need for their burn rate and funding their growth requirements and to get to MVP and beyond? What are your thoughts on that? That's such a topical question, Gary. It has definitely been a rougher period for many founders. But I would say funding is definitely still taking place. It is important for the founders to think about valuation and fundraising with the right framework. I would say the, the answer probably depends on the stage of the business. Let's look at two sides of the question. For later stage startups and for earlier stage ones. For late stage startups, or I should say growth stage startups that have product market fit and real revenue, the one way to think about, you know, adjusting valuation expectations is really to look at the public market as the benchmark. How has the valuation for their publicly trading peers moved since the last time they raised funding. If there are no, you know, directly relevant peers, the valuation for the sector that they are in is probably the next best thing to look at. But that should give companies an idea of how, you know, differently the capital market is perceiving and will likely underwrite to their business. Just given general market movement, aside Mm -hmm. from how their own business is doing directly. Kind of a macro measurement. Correct. Exactly. So we are seeing down rounds, many of them. The good news is that is becoming, you know, somewhat normalized for good reason. Mm. Because regardless of how the underlying business is, it could be the same, you know, the same business as it was. Pretty solid still. But... It's just the the ebbs and flow of the capital market, and they might be valued differently today versus two years ago, just like they might be valued differently two years from now. So it's somewhat normalized. And the good thing is investors are often open to arrangements such as restriking stock options, you know, in other ways to keep the founders and the talent incentivized despite Hmm. the volatility in the valuation. And sometimes a fat run or a down run might be the necessary cost to keep mm-hmm. funding growth. On the other hand of the story, for early stage startups, valuation is so much more an art than science. <laughs> Obviously, everyone you would want to negotiate for a fair price. But at the same time, it is just as important, if not more important, to choose who you partner with. The right investors bring early stage funders crucial resources, including introductions, great pieces of advice, their own connections, and, you know, just be good support through thick and thin. And all those things make such a difference for early stage funders that often makes capital or the valuation not the primary or at least not the sole primary objective here. Wow, that's so useful. (laughs) I know it's hard for first-time founders to sometimes accept the valuation that early-stage funders want to assign or will agree to meet to with different financing structures. But 
many of those who accept that find that down the road, it turns out well anyhow. It happens a lot, indeed. You've dealt with a lot on the financing side, Sophie, and on the funding side. So I want to ask you another question to benefit the founder's frame of mind. And that is from the seat that you've sat in, what are some of the lessons that you've observed that you've seen that were hard that founders learn, startup founders learn, that they, they understood or they learned something kind of at the one or the two or the three year mark as a founder? but that they wish they knew that on day one, if they could somehow reach into the future and grab one or two morsels of wisdom or hard knocks learning, what is your take on what those might be? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for early stage founders in particular, a lot of time was spent on exploring potential ideas and validating them. And one thing that I've seen many founders realize after, you know, some period of exploration is that the market is generally efficient. And what I mean by that is where there is a lucrative opportunity, it is generally discovered and acted upon pretty quickly. So when you as a founder stumble upon a potential idea that seems a hidden gold mine, there might be two key questions you want to ask yourself. That is, why me and why now? And by the way, this is a piece of wisdom that was shared by my recent blog interviewee, Larry Lee, who is a renowned venture capitalist who co-founded Amino Capital a fund that has backed 17 uniforms over the last 10 years since their founding. So he shared this framework with me, the two questions founders should ask to validate their idea. Why me means why are you the right person with the unique skill set, experience, and maybe resources to execute on this Maybe you're not the only person, but you should be one of, you know, a small group of people that are well positioned to do this. And the other question that might be even more pertinent to the market is efficient point I mentioned up front was why now? Why is this problem uniquely solvable now? If you ask yourself, was this problem solvable five years ago? If it was, then Chances are, you know, somebody should have figured it out by now. Either it was not really a pain point that's worth solving, or if it's a real problem, then you need to ask yourself, why, if it wasn't solvable a few years ago, what has changed now? Mm -hmm. Is there an enabling new technology that's expanding the art of possible, such as generative AI, right? That could be true. Or maybe is it a structural change in the market, such as regulatory movement? Or, you know, has something fundamentally changed about, you know, the way people go about their businesses or otherwise that make this problem relevant or solvable now and only now? So I think that's just such a helpful framework. And if a founder cannot have a good answer to both of these questions, it might be a good time to take a hard look at the idea and think about whether they should be pivoting. 
it's wonderfully elegant and simple. Why me and why now? Or why us, this global team of developers and architects and salespeople were pulling together for this cause? Why us? And why now? What's the burning need? You know, what's the, the total addressable market and things like that? But yeah, that's just elegant and simple and pointed. So thank you. Thank you for that. Thanks to Larry. <laughs> yeah, thanks to Larry. Thank you, Larry. I love that you have this passion newsletter, which is uh, the, the blog, which is so useful to so many people. Entrepreneurship of life, it's called. And one of the immigrant technologists in the U.S. who you interviewed is a colleague of mine from Google, Gary Fatikoff, who started a company or was a founder of a company that was then acquired by Google in the storage area. And it's really wonderful to hear those stories of people. And it's so relevant, Sophie, because in our society these days, we're trying hard. I perceive us as struggling to kind of accept the value of people of all different backgrounds into the greater good. That's just my own personal take kind of at a high level. And so, but we're making progress, you know, we are making progress. And I'd like to know what inspired you to, you know, there's many things you could start a blog on or address your intellectual and kind of passion capital toward. Why did you pick this topic? Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Wow. I could go on for a while on this. (laughs) (laughs) First and foremost, I am a first generation immigrant myself. And this brings me, you know, it brings this personal resonance between Mm. me and this topic. So I grew up in mainland China. I hail from Sichuan, which is also hometown to giant pandas, hot pot, and Deng Xiaoping. Mm -hmm. And I came to the U.S. for graduate school about 12 years ago, and I've lived here since then. This is probably why whenever I see another immigrant, I felt this personal level connection to them especially those people, immigrants in tech, which happens to be the field of my passion. So this is, I think, the the very personal motivation. But specifically, what got me started on this um, blog project in 2020? So three things happened. One was, hey, it was the pandemic. <laughs> I, like everybody else, had nowhere to go. So got spare <laughs> time on my hand. And secondarily, 2020 was the year that we saw a lot of hate crimes against Mm. Asian Americans here Mm. in the U.S. And as an Asian immigrant myself, I was deeply pained by that. I wanted to do something that, that helped make the situation better. And thirdly, around the same time, I came across this statistic that really struck me. So, I saw that as of 2017, out of the 25 most valuable public tech companies in the U.S., about 60% of them were founded or co-founded by a first or second generation immigrant. Wow. My mind was blown away. Yes, I know. I realized that, you know, many people did not appreciate this amazing fact, myself included. But the interesting thing is, if you think closely about it, it's also not that surprising because we are surrounded by immigrant-founded businesses. If you live in a big city, 
like New York, where I am, there could be three just, you know, downstairs on your block. Maybe there's a laundromat, there's convenience store, maybe a Caribbean restaurant. And, you know, they're all run by immigrants from a variety of backgrounds. So this make me wonder, you know, what, what was the reason behind that, that drove many immigrants to entrepreneurship and made them good at it? So this was a topic, it was a main theme that my blog explores. And in addition to that, my hope was, you know, by telling amazing personal stories of immigrant founders, VCs, and builders in tech, more people like them, more immigrants could get inspired and take the lead for themselves. Gary Fedekoff, who you just mentioned, our common friend, his wonderful story of starting out as an Israeli math tutor and becoming a successful co-founder of a half a billion worth company over the years and breaking into the U.S. market. It was fascinating. Yeah. Was so inspiring. And I've spoken to so many other people that just have unique stories of their own that I think just tell us so much about entrepreneurship and innovation. And frankly, at the end of the day, I believe that the secret sauce of you know successful immigrant technologists, their insights on their industry, what they're doing to solve the problems they see, these are of interest to everyone who wants to build something, whether they're immigrants or otherwise. So this is why I've been doing this for a few years, and I will keep doing it. I wish people could see us right now looking at each other on the video screen and just to the audience that will be coming. I'll be having video as part of the podcast here soon, but I'm just spellbound listening to you and looking at you because I'm connecting so deeply with you, Sophie, on your motivation, which I appreciate. And also when I think about when I was a high, when I've been in a role as a hiring manager at DLT or at Google, I always said to people, there are two things that I look for and they go in the following order. Fire in the belly. I got to get something done. I want to get something done that could be said as drive. I want, I want to prove something. I want to make something. I want to create something and an ability to act. And that means to act in the face of fear, uncertainty, doubt, and even not knowing. And you have to be a self learner. And at a broad level, those attributes or characteristics are endemic to immigrants who start businesses. I mean, that's part of what they possess. And I also think of it in the broader sense in our country today that obviously the United States was built on immigrants. That's largely who we are at our founding from other lands. Of course, we have Native Americans here and, and they're crucial and important and hold a place in our history that nobody replaces. But without immigrants and immigrant energy, ideas, and drive and desire, I mean, I'm just not sure where we would be in terms of a world economic power. So thank you for, for what you're doing to call out those stories and hope you keep doing it. Thank you so much, Gary. That was so well said. And I would just say I'm so honored to be the person to tell the story of so many the so many of these wonderful immigrant founders. Mm, that's so cool. Well, speaking of the stories of other people, Sophie, I'd just like to ask you one or two more questions. And so from a family and a life perspective, who has 
or had the greatest influence on you outside of the worlds of technology and finance? That was a great question. Oh my God, there are so many of them that have had so much impact on me and I can't say enough thanks to. But one person I want to highlight for today is Chloe, who is my personal coach. She's wonderful. Awesome. I've been working with her for a few years and she really helped me tackle many challenging personal and interpersonal situations, navigate tough decisions in a much better way than I could alone. I have a wonderful support system from my partner, my friends and family, but there's no one else like her who can bring that level of objectivity and amazing framework and experiences, you know, to be my sounding board and my support through a lot of this. That is just super fantastic. I'm, I'm smiling from ear to ear for you that you found a great coach and really for your wisdom in enlisting a coach to hold your confidence in that special space that a coach can do, being that sounding board, that trusted confidant and wise advisor. So I didn't know that about you, Sophie, and I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that you've done that. And as a coach, I'm particularly warmed and pleased for you. This is exactly why I brought up Chloe today, because you, Gary, are a coach yourself to executives and founders. And I'm sure this is the exact kind of support that you provide many of them. And I just want to say for people with the means, I always encourage my friends and others to consider personal coaching, because this is such a high leverage activity and such a good investment in personal growth. Mm. Just drop the mic. Drop the mic right now. Just drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've come to uh, to a pause in our time, Sophie. I say that because I kind of feel like we'll be having some conversations in the future, perhaps with others. I can even see a round table. Wouldn't that be so cool? I mean, think about what we could do there. But for now, I'd like to ask you, what's next now for you, Sophie? You know what? The beauty <laughs> of it is I'm exploring my path as I go. So as I mentioned earlier, Love I've that. been doing some freelance work with early stage founders. There are certain ideas that I'm very intrigued by and I spent a lot more time exploring myself. And I'm also talking with a few different early stage teams that I'm very excited about for, you know, potential deep collaboration or even being, you know, part of them. In any case, Fantastic. this project of writing about and talking to wonderful immigrants in tech will continue. And I look forward to sharing more stories with my audience. Um, and hopefully some of your audience, Gary, would find it helpful too. I'm also going to start a podcast this year. So stay oh, tuned. Awesome. I, I didn't know that. That's <laughs> I'm le learning more wonderful things about you today, which I'm happy about. How You're the inspiration, Gary. You really are. <laughs> so thank you for that. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you so much. How would people get in touch with you? How would you like people to know you? Via your Substack or? Everyone 
please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn, um, Sophie Kuiwan. And I would love for anyone interested to take a look at my Substack. Subscribe for free. You will get every new story delivered to your inbox automatically. And I know the, um, the link will be in the show notes. It will. By the time this airs, there should be a new story that was just published between my conversation with um, venture capitalist Larry that we talked about earlier. So, cool. hope you enjoy it. Cool. That's something for people to look forward to. Wonderful. Well, I'd like to say before we close um, to invite all listeners today to please subscribe to What's Next Now. Share a comment or remark of any type that you like. Help us build this community to include more of you to benefit from really the stories and wisdom that people like Sophie have to share. And we've had another venture capitalist on the past, Peter Goldstone. We've had authors and book publishers and entertainers. So check out some previous editions, but certainly ask for your support in subscribing and leaving a comment. And with that, I want to thank you, Sophie, for being on the show today, wishing you a great day and wishing all of our listeners a, a great first quarter in Q1. You can reach me, Gary, at GaryDanoff.com or at GaryDanoff. And thank you for tuning in today, folks. Take care. Take care.